the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Welcome to the show. This is episode three of the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Tyson, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you doing? Great. I'm excited about our topic today, which is what would be the one thing you'd like to tell yourself if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice at the time that you started your firm? This is something that I think about from time to time. You know, we're always learning and we're always developing new tactics and strategies to improve our law firm. So I thought that it might make sense for us to spend a little bit of time talking about one or two things. We're each going to come up with one that we wish we had known when we started our firm. And Tyson, why don't you take it away? Yeah, I think there are several things that we would do, but I think the number one thing that I would do all comes down to branding, and that's changing the name of my firm. You and I have talked about this before, but I think the first thing, the first the people want to do whenever they start their firm, when they're, they're naming it, they want to throw their name on it. And when you're wanting to grow and expand, and you and I have both gone through this with having attorneys work for us, it makes it difficult. It really does whenever clients are contacting you and they want to speak to you because you're the guy. You're the guy with the name on the door. I think I would go back and rebrand it to something more generic and I think people have this negative stigma for some reason about Traffic Law Center. Now, I wouldn't name it something like Traffic Law Center, but I would have the, that's the idea, something more generic, because you can brand that, you can, you can franchise that if you had to, you can expand. And when people call your office, they're wanting to speak to an attorney, not you as the attorney. And I know some people listening to this are probably completely disagree with that. But if you really want to grow your firm and expand and get larger and larger, being more generic doesn't mean you're going to offer lower quality services. It just means that you are going to be able to work on your business and not inside your business. And that's something that you and I are going to talk about a lot throughout the, every podcast probably is being able to work on the outside of your business, work on it and actually make it better as opposed to being stuck inside of it in, in the daily grind of things. So that, and that's the main reason why is I don't, it's very, very hard delegating work down to other individuals in your firm whenever people want to talk to you because you're the guy. You're the one that they hired. You're the one that they want to talk to. So that's the number one thing. I would change the name of the firm to something more generic 
uh, without my without my name in it at all. I think it's so funny because I think a lot of lawyers don't think this through ahead of time. And obviously, we both used our last name in the naming of our firm. And I think that a lot of lawyers do that just because that's what everybody does. And I don't know that there's that much long-term planning associated with it. You know, I remember, and this will probably date me some, I think that when I was in law school, it was right around the change time that they started making changes to the rules about using names other than the lawyers in the name of the law firm. So I remember that there was a classmate of mine named George Graham, and he decided that when he went out on his own, he was African-American. So he literally called his law firm the African-American law firm, which I thought was interesting. And I think there's a lot that's sort of tied up in that. I think it, it sort of plants a stake in the ground and lets you know who his clientele is. I thought, you know, I thought it might be standoffish to some other people, but um, I think it worked for him. And I think that it sort of was, like you said, a little bit of branding. And I thought it was an interesting approach. Absolutely. I, I've never heard of that firm, but I think that's an awesome name. I mean, it really is. He knows his demographic. He really does. And that's marketing 101. I mean, it's. I have a marketing degree. I didn't go and look at my demographic when I started my firm. You know, it's, one, it's like, but it's marketing 101. It's one of those things where you have to start looking at stuff. And that guy knew from the very get-go what his demographic was. And, you know, my favorite part of it, what's my favorite part of the whole name? The African-American law firm. What's my favorite word in there? It's the. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, I know my buddy Dean Jackson on Twitter, he's the Dean Jackson. I just think that when you say the, it's like, is there anybody else? I mean, would you even consider anybody else? I thought it was pretty clever. But, you know, if you talk about big law firms, too, I mean, there, there are tons of law firms around the country that don't have those lawyers' names in it. You know, I'm sure there's no one at Brian Cave or Kirkland and Ellis whose last name is Kirkland or Ellis or Brian or Cave, unless it just happens to be that. It's it's interesting because, you know, names of lawyers inside of firms or as the firm name, it, it, it really sort of an anachronism when it comes to branding across, you know, all kinds of businesses. I think lawyers are sort of the one thing. I mean, I guess people put their names in restaurants if they if they have a restaurant. But other than that, I think that a lot of companies, you know, use the name of what it is that they provide. That's a great point. I mean, and I think as attorneys, we like to think of ourselves as different. And you you love pointing out when people say, you just think you're different and you're not. Um, and I think attorneys in general like to think, oh, we're different. We're, such, we're so different. We're so different. And the truth of the matter, no, we're not. If you look at other industries, you're right. They don't use, the vast majority of them do not use their name in the company name. They use what the services that they're providing. And so... If you can find a way to develop a name of your firm that is not your name, that is the name of your firm. For example, you can use the Personal Injury Law Center. I'm not going to do that one. It's too similar to Traffic Law Center. But you could do something like that where people know exactly what you do the moment they see your name. And that's the point. That's the entire goal. And another problem might be is that some attorneys may not know what they're what they're going to do whenever they first start their firm. They don't know what business is going to come in, so they want to be more generic. But that's what you want to be. If you want to be more generic and you want to handle multiple practice areas, well, come up with a name that's a little more generic that allows you to do that. You know her, Natalie. She's got her – I think the name of her firm is General Counsel LLC, and she does general counsel work for companies. And so that's it's a very appropriate name. But so that you, if you can come up with some sort of name that allows you to handle multiple practice areas, that's fine as well. Yeah. 
and I do think Natalie's name was clever. I think you raise a good point, though. It is sort of hard when you're starting out because you don't necessarily know what you're going to do. Do you know any other law firms that have sort of names without the names of the attorneys in them? Yeah, I, I've got, uh, I know a guy by the name of Steve Coffin. He runs a firm called the Small Business Law Center. I don't like the the law center in these because it's too similar to Traffic Law Center because it sounds like you're ripping them off. That's one reason why I don't like it. But he does have Small Business Law Center, and you know exactly what he does. He handles small business matters, legal matters for small businesses. There are some other ones. I, I actually don't have any written down, but I know I have heard some other ones. There is a firm that does debt collection that has something to do with like debt collection, something law firm in it. But each one of those firms, when you see it, you know exactly what they do. There's really no getting away from it. You know exactly what they do. I want to get to that other point that you raised when you brought up this topic, and that is that sort of the ego involved in using your name and the problems that that can cause later on when you try to scale and people come in trying or wanting to see, quote unquote, the man or the woman in charge. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think that can be a real trap for lawyers to think that, you know, well, I've got to do everything. I've got to, I've got to meet with everybody. Only I can do this. Only I can do that. And I think that you're right that when you name it, the Mutrix law firm or the hacking law practice that you are probably setting yourself up for issues related to that because clients expect to see the person that's, you know, on the video or on the website or, or whose name is on the door. What are you, what are you doing? You at a construction site? I hear, I hear these large trucks in the background. No, I'm, I'm going to give you so much hell on each one of these podcasts about the sounds in the background. Trains, trucks, semis. Well, I can. I mean, we are by the train track, so it does get loud here. We're going to have to find someone to filter that out. No, that's fine. I just like messing with you. Uh, you're gonna. I'm going to pick on you like uh, Joe Polish picks on Dean Jackson. Well, that's appropriate because in our relationship, you are the, mean, <laughs> not the nice person. So uh, I think that it works out as usual. Uh, whatever. So I derailed you. You're fine. I think that it is a real trap and you're sort of locking yourself in, you know, to one sort of approach when you build everything around yourself. And it's interesting because you and I definitely are not afraid of self-promotion. And, you know, you know, I have more than 140 YouTube videos out there and you do a weekly video and you have all your videos on there too. And so I think that there is sort of this catch-22 because you want to be personable. You want to be someone that your clients relate to. But at the same time, you don't want the whole business to be dependent on you. And I think back to that book that we have both read called Built to Sell. And if everything's about you and your name's on the door and everything's about you you know, being the face of the firm, I think you do set yourself up for difficulties down the road, either in scaling or or in wanting to sell your practice or things like that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So here's what I'm going to do. I, th- I think we've beaten this to death. I want to get to yours because we're already about 11 minutes in. So I want to kind of get to yours. But do you want to go ahead and with that, do you want to give your tip? Because you, you mentioned Built to Sell, which I think is a fantastic book. It, it's one of those books that makes you really think and break things down step by step by step by step. And you don't until honestly, until I read that book, it was harder for me to break down my entire firm. But whenever you, I read the book, it was great. I mean, it really makes you step outside, look back in your firm and say, I can really break this down even more because I thought I'd broken it down until I read that book. But you can really I mean, now if you look at my office manual, it's there is a 
detailed step-by-step process for everything because that's what you need. If I got hit by a car today, someone could walk into my firm and operate my firm without a problem. So that's that's part of it. That's a good sign, and I don't think I'm there yet. I think that there are a lot of systems and processes that we do things a certain way, but a lot of it's sort of amorphous and not not as rigorous as that. So that's something we're working on. Yeah, built to sell would be my tip for the week. I read it. No, it's a hacking's hack is what it is. It's hacking's hack of the week. Thank you, sir. I I read that on the way to InfusionCon two years ago. And I think I read the whole thing on the plane on the way there and the way back. And it's one of those business novels. Uh, it's It's a short read. It's a story about an ad agency that's trying to be everything to everybody. And they decide to niche down even further than just um, public relations. And they go all the way down to making logos because logos is something that they could systematize. They could automate a lot of it and they could make it sort of uh, a regular part of their business. And that was sort of when they built the systems around that, it really helped them streamline things. And it meant turning down a lot of work that might have been temporarily lucrative, but would have taken them off their game. And so it's a great thing great book for lawyers to read and to think about as they start building their practice. That's perfect. No, I mean, that was a perfect description of that book. Do you want to get into your question? Do you want me to give my tip of the week, Tyson's tip of the week? I think Tyson should give his tip of the week. Let's do that. Okay. So something I rely heavily on is virtual assistance, which you and I are going to talk about in another episode, but I use Upwork for a lot of things. It used to be Odesk. Uh, Go to upwork.com. You can hire virtual assistants. You can get logos made. You can have your accounting taken care of. You can do just about anything that you can do virtually. It can be done on Upwork. You can hire people from the United States. You can hire people from India. You can hire people from almost anywhere in the world. And it saves me a lot of money, and I get a lot more work done. Uh, It's really interesting. John Fisher just posted a blog post last week or this week. It was either early this week or last week about the 24-hour law firm and actually made me feel good because, I mean, that's what's going on. I mean, at night, work's getting done. I'm sleeping, and then when I get up, there's plenty of work to be done. Uh, For example, letter dictations, things like that, where I've dictated something. It gets spit out to Kelsey, my assistant, and in the morning, she prints everything out, and I come in, sign the letters, and um, work has been done. And like it's, It feels great walking in the morning when I've got a stack of letters to sign, that that work's been done overnight. So um, Upwork, like I said, we'll do virtual assistance in another episode, but Upwork is a great resource for attorneys. Great, bud. All right. So now I want to talk about the thing that I wish I had known or had done when I started my law firm. And it's something that I, I figured out several years in. And I think that the tip is, or the approach is to make sure that you set up a system to keep track of everyone that contacts your law firm. So if I were starting my firm today, I would make sure that I had a brain dead method of keeping track of everyone who contacts our firm for assistance. So, you know, there are many, many reasons for this. The the main one is, is that, you know, you can really build a database of people who contact you for help over time. And if you, if you keep track of all those people, I mean, right now we are adding probably, 30 people a week to our database just based on who calls the firm or who reaches out to us via email or over the web. And so what we do is every Monday, those people get an immigration newsletter from us about, you know, topics in the news, topics at our law firm, things that are happening with us. And it just gives you that opportunity to communicate with people because, 
you know, one thing I'll talk about a lot is that when people raise their hand and, and indicate interest in what you have to offer, they don't always buy. They don't always hire you right then. But I've had many, many people who on a Monday after I've sent my email to everybody, they say, oh, Jim, I've been meaning to get a hold of you. I'm glad you sent this email that reminded me to call you and cases come out of that. So I think a lot of people, when they realize this, if they have not been doing this or if they have it sort of spread out in many different things, different capturing systems, I think that they end up kicking themselves because of all the lost opportunity that they had to communicate with people who reached out to them long ago. Yeah, and something that it's it's hard to convey to your staff. Um, they don't. It, it, you, I want to. I want to mine as much gold from them as I can. For example, like dates of birth, who they're married to, things like that. And it's really something I've had to train people to do is really. You've got to ask the questions, and they're afraid to ask the questions sometimes. But you have to get that information. Get an email address. Get a phone number. Get a mailing address. Find out who their spouse is. And you can do these in ways where it doesn't sound like you're you're prying into their life. For example, when I get their date of birth, for example, let's say it's a client that I'm or a person that I'm I'm not going to take their case because I don't take that type of case. And you get those types of calls all the time. So do I. I say just you know. We send out birthday cards to everyone every year. Do you mind if I get your date of birth? You know, I'm just, I would like I'd like to send you a birthday card. They're like, oh yeah, absolutely. Who doesn't want to get a birthday card? I've never had anybody tell me no. So you can ask for things like that. They're not going to tell you no for the most part. The email address is the one that really people don't like to give away. But I just tell them, listen, you know, if if I have any information I can pass along to you, just mind if I get your email address. If it's a prospective client on a case that I would take, I just say, hey, I wrote this book on hiring an attorney. Do you mind if I email you a book, a copy of it? Oh, absolutely. I've never had anybody tell me no to that because they're like, oh, yeah, you're giving me a free book. You're emailing it to me. That's fantastic. So there's a variety of ways you can market to these people and one, mine their information and two, market to them once you have that information, but you need to get it. You have to get the information. And so you're right, whether it's it's typing into a spreadsheet, whatever it is, it's got to be mindless. It's got to be every time the call comes in, you're getting that information. No matter what, you've got to get it. It's because it, otherwise it's worthless. You're, you have probably marketed in some way, whether it's through referrals, whether it's the internet, whatever it is, you're paying for this information if you think about it in a way. You're investing in it through your marketing. So you want to you want to be able to get some value from it whenever they're calling into your firm. So you want to take that information. Otherwise, you're letting money go out the door. So the other day I was down in our conference room and I was just working on my laptop and the phone rang and my front desk assistant answered it. And I could tell that it was a somewhat pushy person who, you know, really wanted to make an appointment with me. And he, I think he wanted to make the appointment with me like that day. And I was booked during the day and I heard my receptionist talking to the person and, you know, the way he's trained is to capture that information right out of the box. And, you know, what we say is, you know, in case we get disconnected, it'd be great if you could give me your phone number and your name. So we have that. And then he gets the email address um, and then he gets, you know, the topic. So before they can even explain what their issue is, what he's supposed to do is get all that information. And it just takes about 30 seconds to, to get someone's full name, phone number, and email address. And that's all we get at this stage of things. Well, it can be complicated to get that. And here's why. Because Marwan does a great job. The problem is, is that you if someone's calling in that's called before, or if there's someone that's a current client, 
Um, you don't want them asking for that information again and again and again. So it can get difficult in the wording of your scripts. And I, I, I have scripts. I think you have scripts, call scripts. We do. So we, we, you have to word your script in a way where – and your person has to know don't ask the same person the same questions. But you have to word your script in a way where you're not pissing off your clients um, because, listen, I've been a client for a year. Why are you asking me for this information? So you just have to make sure that you word the script in a way. You have to find out who they are first and then get that information. That's funny because I haven't really delved into how they delineate between people who've contacted us before and people who haven't. I think he just asks. I think he says, you know, are you a current client or is this someone someone new? And I think a lot of times you can just sort of tell from the context. But anyway, I was listening to him on the phone and this pushy person sort of got on and off the phone without him capturing the information. And I, I rarely sort of get upset or angry. And I wasn't angry, but I just jumped up and I said, whoa, dude, that's not how we do it. You know that. You know better than that. And he felt bad and it was fine. No big deal. Because if, if someone's calling and pushy and not wanting to follow our systems, then they're probably not going to be a good fit for us anyway. And we can talk about that in other episodes. I was I was about to say that. I was like I was going to say you, you don't really want that person as a client anyways, do you? I mean they're if they're that but uh, you never know. He might have been his wife might be being deported that day true, or something. True. So, you know, it could be anything, but generally, yeah, generally those aren't the types of people that I'm going to want to work with. But in any event, I just think the message and the lesson is sort of clear that you got to capture that stuff. And then, you know, you don't necessarily know what you're going to do with it. I think that as you get more sophisticated, you're going to segment those people. You can do a, a campaign through email based on the topic that they called about. So for me, if they wanted to know about citizenship, they could get a set of emails about that. Or for you, if they wanted to know about a DWI, what happens with that, you can market to them through that. And so I, I think there's just all kinds of opportunities, but they all start with you actually capturing the information from the people that contact you. Yeah, you used a word. I want to make sure people know what you're talking about. You talked about segmentation, and I know what it is, but I think you may want to explain that because that's a term that I'm not sure everyone might know. Segmentation is just a matter of tagging people with the appropriate tag so that you can market to them in a particularized way so that they get the message that they need or the information that they want about their particular issue. And so if you think of it as a series of buckets, if you have seven buckets because there's seven practice areas that your firm offers help with, then segmentation is just a matter of making sure that people go into the right bucket. Yeah. And I, I give you an example. Yesterday, I had to send out an email really quick. It was to all my, all the attorneys that I know. And you got it and you probably didn't think it was automated, but it was an automated email. Um, and I, I had that list in place because my list is segmented, but I've got all my attorneys in a specific list, a specific bucket. I sent out an email blast really quick about a happy hour we're doing tonight. And uh, did I fool you? Did you? No oh, wait, dude, I knew it was up. Oh, come on. Come on. All your tricks. I taught you all your tricks. That was a good one, wasn't it? It was good. My open rate was fantastic. What was the, what was the headline? I don't remember. Tomorrow. Yeah, see, that's good. It was, it was a good one. And I sent one out the other day, and it was about – this is my weekly email, and it was about a judge who was being forced to step down at the immigration court because like she had – Slick Rick or something? Like, what was the, what was the oh, name? That was Slick Rick. That was a different one. Okay. But this one was time to say goodbye, and I think it really freaked people out when I said – because it's time to say goodbye to that judge, but they thought I was saying goodbye to them uh, at a huge open rate. I don't think I saw that one. Yeah, it was a couple of Mondays ago, probably about a month ago. Somehow. Oh, I missed it somehow. Well, that's a, that is a great one. That's a really good one. Anything else you want to you wanna add? No. I think that we've given a lot of good information for people, and 
I hope that if people like the podcast, that they subscribe to it on iTunes. Um, and we'll have information on that on the webpage about how to do that. And also go MaximumLawyer.com and also our Facebook page. I want to make sure I plug those so people go to those and get onto it. And is it, I need to check, is it MaximumLawyer or TheMaximumLawyer.com? We actually have both, but it's, I think the main one is MaximumLawyer.com. Okay. So go to there, uh, check us out, and uh, listen if you have any questions. I have nothing else. See you, bud. Right, see you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.